Listener-supported St. Gabriel Catholic Radio AM820 brings you Dominican Dimensions, a half hour of lively discussion about Catholic issues from a Dominican perspective, featuring the friars from St. Patrick Church in Columbus. And now, Dominican Dimensions. Welcome to the Dominican Dimensions, a half hour of lively discussion about Catholic issues from a Dominican perspective. My name is Father Stephen Dominic Hayes, and I'm a friar at St. Patrick Priory in Columbus. Today, in this, I'm joined in the studio by Father Pius Petrick, a very special guest, and Isaiah, uh, Brother, Brother Isaiah Biter. Let's begin by uh, asking for the intercession of our Blessed Lady. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Amen. Our Lady Seat of Wisdom, pray pray for for us. So today, uh, we talked about maybe uh, doing some discussion about the family. And Brother Isaiah, I think this was your idea. Uh, It was. Does that make me responsible? It makes you responsible for the introduction, I would say. Okay. I think, well, part of what brought this to mind is, you know, I grew up, I think, thinking that just by looking at my friends around me and their families, kind of in my own family to a certain degree, thinking that it was just the nature of things, that when you grew up, you moved far away from your parents and your siblings, and you struck it on your own. But as I've gotten older and come to, you know, appreciate my family more than I did as a young child, and as well as to see many people's, the story of many people's lives and how difficult it can be to be far away from your family, um, I've had different thoughts about that. And in some ways it, yeah, it makes me think that perhaps family staying together is actually a better way to go. And maybe, uh, and uh, Father uh, Father Pius and I may have crossed swords over this later on, but uh, more than the nuclear family, I'm a great believer in the extended family. That um, for, I grew up in a long, very long-tailed Irish family. I had no need for meeting outside people beyond the family before the before school age, I don't think, really, because I had all these cousins over playing in the yard with us all the time. The uh, my mother and aunts used each other to assume, to uh, for for child duty while other people were doing things like working and so forth. Like babysitting, you mean? Well, a child care, yes, baby, oh. but I wouldn't say babysitting because these are your kin. So it's not just a question of sitting with children; it's also participating in their education morally. And in terms of knowledge for the world and so forth, you know, and how to deal with each other, you know, I de- um, how to deal with other people who don't think the way you do. Not everybody has the benefit of a big family. I had seven brothers and sisters, but one of my aunts only had three children, only three in <laughs> my family, which is, I mean, I have one aunt who has 14, you know, oh, oh. yeah, no, yeah, that's we were, right. And, we they're, were, well, and they're all, poli- and most of them were police at this point. Yeah, it was, it's always fascinating because I remember the first time I was assigned uh, for the first time when I was down in Zanesville or, or, mm-hmm. or the parish we had in Zanesville. I grew up in uh, just a family. There was just three of us. And we had moved when I was young away from the extended family. So I grew up and there was no extended family where I grew up. It was just the, the kind of the nuclear family. Mm-hmm. And, you know, grandparents, aunts, uncles were just very far away. So the regular contact with that extended family was very foreign to me. And then you get into Zanesville where... Where, as one person 
said to me once, Father, be careful what you say, because everybody's related to everybody else. That's right. Uh, and in some ways, especially in the sort of the Catholic community uh, in a small town like that. Mm-hmm. And the, my, I was always fascinated by their knowledge of the family. Mm-hmm. You would talk to somebody and say, oh, yeah, that's so-and-so's third cousin twice removed who married so-and-so and did this. And you're, right. how, how do you people keep all this in your mind? It's amazing to me. Uh, but this knowledge of that tangled web of relationships that people live in within their own life uh, is something I just had never kind of experienced before mm-hmm. until I was in uh, a small town like Z- – well, small city, I suppose. Uh, like my, my city is not small, but I do think you know at this point still most of my relatives live within a 20-mile radius of the city of mm-hmm. Boston. You know? And so we're all together for funerals and – parties and so forth. Some of the things are extreme. I imagine my family was extreme. Uh, no. As, as adult, as <laughs> adult kids, as adult kids, we still had the custom of all assembling <clears throat> at my mother's house for dinner. That's very Irish, old Irish custom. It's very Irish. But let me tell you how strange it was. When my sister Roseanne was having her first child down in New Jersey, where she was living at the time, my mother went and visited her for three months. And during that time, all of the rest of us continued to go to my our mother's house for dinner, when she wasn't even there. Well, you, the okay. family traditions keep going, and yeah. and so it's sort of interesting, you know. But I think, but the, part of this is because you know the family is the core of your identity in in many ways, and that that and it's that identity is not simply a static thing. It's the way in which you relate to mm-hmm. other people, and this importance that sort of I think we discover is is the family as the kind of locus is where you learn love, mm-hmm. you know? and and we live in a modern society in which love is simply about kind of responding to my feelings. So it's all a kind of what sim- I get. Right, it's a selfish notion of oh yeah, or self discovery or self expression or. Naval gazing. It's about me. Yeah, right. And what, when you realize it's not when about you, it's about me. But you're in a family in which you don't choose, right? You don't right. choose to be born. You don't nope. choose the people who are your family, nope. and yet you live in a situation in which you you feel this obligation, or you have this obligation to care for them, right? Mm-hmm. And to come together and define your identity with these people that you haven't chosen to be. Mm-hmm. It's a really counterexample to love, and I think this is why sometimes we get the collapse of that extended family. Is that we've we've fallen into an in our society, this kind of a selfish understanding, right? So if they're not the people that are like, and you hear about this, especially around um, holiday time, right? The difficulties that you see all these little write-ups about, you know, the person who, oh, I have to go back mm-hmm. to Thanksgiving and listen right. to my uncle talk about politics and how awful he is. And mm-hmm. right, there's no sense of, well, how about I learn from my elder? How about I mm-hmm. try to understand things from his perspective? How about I give a chance to love someone who may think different from me? Surprise, surprise. Yeah. Uh, because we have, because this understanding that God has created us precisely within the context of the family mm-hmm. so that we are created to encounter love with other people. That is, we're, we're created to encounter love as a community in the way that it, it reflects the love that is the Trinity. And a sacrificing community. Yeah, yeah. You know, when mother and father come together for children, that is a commitment to a life of sacrifice because these kids are dependent, totally dependent for a while. And they get into trouble. You know, they may be cute and so forth when they're little, but then sometimes you have to bail them out of jail later in their life. You know, yep. and there's, and you and their good behavior, bad behavior. The same thing was true through generations before you. You know, you have one set of grandparents who are just sweet and loving and so forth, and another with seem awfully dysfunctional. Every family's got them, but family are the people that you can't turn away. That you, God has wedded you to them that you may learn virtue and 
And and this itself is a vestigia. It's God's fingerprints on the structure of the family reflecting his purposes in sharing the divine life with us. Well, that see, we are invited into the Trinity of the into the family of the Trinity, which is a self sacrificing, other other oriented love. And now the human race has been invited through Jesus Christ. And this is where we and I, I th- I'd say also in my Catholic family, Jesus and Mary were very much part of the household. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very much part of the household. See, this this element of not choosing your family, of being mm-hmm. given your family by God for his purposes, has seemed more and more to me to be one of the main themes in what family is. Because not only do I not have to choose my family, I neither have to try to convince them to choose me as their family. Mm-hmm. It seemed a lot of people in my generation um, seem to feel unmoored. And they don't know where to go. They don't know where to build their life. And they spend a lot of time and a lot of their heart sort of trying to build, find a family in a new place, a new city where they have moved. But they left their, you know, the family into which they were born aside. And they spend so much time and effort and worry sort of trying to convince other people that to accept them into their family and to... um to, to make a to family affirm of them in the the conception they have of themselves, rather yeah. than conforming themselves in love to other people, to found their personality in in that love. But in the family, you're already given that. There's a an unchosen love that I mean, yes, is owed, but is freely given, and that's what the family is meant to be: is a a communion in which you are loved and free to actually grow into. And develop your personality because it's not a question of whether you'll be accepted, as you say, if you mess up in different ways or if you're one of the bad kids in the family in some way or like you're still a son in a right. way that, you know, you make friends out in a new city. And you might con- stop being their friends. And continue to be loved even if, if you're in a penitentiary. Yeah. And it's not to say that there aren't difficult family situations where you have parents who might be abusive or the like. I mean, we we can't say, pretend that doesn't exist. It does, uh, but a reminder that love is not always something that is elicited by someone who deserves it. Right. So yeah. I remind people. I try to remind people this all the time. Christ didn't die on the cross because we deserved His love. He died on the cross because we needed His love, and that's the difference. And so even yeah. in it, you know, it can be painful sometimes to deal with people who are abusive, uh, but. Uh, and we might have to distance ourselves for our own protection from time to time. Uh, but the, the, there should still be a love there, right? The fourth commandment doesn't have an exception, except, you know, when you when they're really not nice people. Uh, there's still an honor. And why? Because it's rooted in the notion of gratitude, right? That we see that within the family, not just our parents, but within the wider family that cares for us, the gratitude for the people who have at times sacrificed to provide us with a living, even if they have done so imperfectly. I, you know, and sometimes when you're with, with kids all the time, you have to you know, you remind them, your parents are allowed to be imperfect. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? uh, um, well, it's astounding that, that God gives us, gives families to each other and gives people to each other. A lot of parents, young parents will say, like, I'm not good at this. Nobody taught me how to do this. But, but that's how it is. Nobody gets... You get taught a little bit when you're maybe young or with your younger siblings, but every, nobody's great at being a member of a family. You learn it as you go, and you you figure out how to love the people around you. 
I'm the eldest of my brothers and sisters, and I remember seeing my mother struggling with various kinds of things as we grew up. Five years, you know, when my father got nearly died, and hmm. you know, she's trying to watch three little boys. You know, one of whom, Michael, Michael constantly running at the risk of jumping on Ger- on Gerard, who's only a year old. You know, <laughs> and me at five trying to keep order. You know, um, and then by that the, I would like to have seen. <laughs> by the time she had my sister Roseanne at eight, she was she would. We she had really come into her groove about having kids. So that is she the, is she the good one, Rosanna? Is she she's the good one? She's she's a good one, <laughs> a good one. I know I know my family listens to this recording. So <clears throat> you love them all equally, I'm sure. Mm-hmm, just like my mother did. So. <laughs> yeah, and, and with my family too is because we we grew up kind of rootless uh, mm-hmm. in a sense because you know where we grew up was not where the family was. Uh, is that uh, we've we've all kind of separated as as we've grow, as we've uh, grown up. You're listening to the Dominican Dimensions, a half hour of lively discussion about Catholic issues from a Dominican perspective. My name is Father Stephen Dominic Hayes, and I'm a friar at St. Patrick Priory in Columbus. I'm joined today in the studio by Father Pius Petrick and Brother Isa Biter. We've been discussing uh, the Christian family in its richness, its variety, its generations. Yeah, that's right. I think uh, a big part of this is what it means to say that a person is mine. You know, we think a lot about what it means to say that a pos- uh, object is mine, and there are a lot of laws about that, but there's a whole wealth of meanings to saying that a person is mine, that... And I don't mean possessing, of course, in the way of property, but possessing in the way that a friend belongs to another friend. And you say they're my friend. Or the way that you say this is my wife or husband or this is my son or daughter. And I think, you know, we could make – there are various ways that we choose those who belong to us, whether it be friends or husbands and wives. But the deepest meaning of someone belonging to you seems to be that they've been given to you by God. And those are the family relationships, of course, the ones that mm-hmm. are just given without any choice of your own in a lot of ways, like a child given to a mother and father that is only to a certain degree in their control. Right. And or even what seems to be and is, of course, a free choice in marriage, that is, of the two spouses to join in marriage. The thing about marriage, the fact that we that it's a sacrament, that it's something that is confirmed by God, is that they are given to each other by God, just as they give themselves to each other. With all their strengths and all their weaknesses. Well, that's right. I think the Lord uh, has described his own relationship with his people in terms of a dysfunctional family, and that's, of course, the the prophet Hosea. Yeah. You know, where the prophet is... Um, and Isaiah and Micah and Jeremiah. Right, but uh, Hosea particularly, where he's, uh, the prophet is Gomer. asked to marry a Gomer, who is a woman of easy virtue, shall we say? You know? Ill repute, some would say. Well, some would say that, but let's give... The, but uh, but then, you know, with uh, the children, it's Lo-Ami, I think, is one of them. I know? can't remember. Lo-Ami. Yeah, Lo-Ami, not my people. Not my people. people. You know, that the names are given to... By God through the prophet to the children who are the produce of this, or the product of this dysfunctional relationship, and so the people of God, you are not my people. But then God, just as you know, the prophet takes his his sinning wife back, his erring wife back. So the children are taken back, and so Loami, 
not my people, is given a new aim. You are my people, says the Lord. And, and that sort of comes into its greatest fruition, I think, in the genealogy of our Lord, mm-hmm. right? Right. Where you expect, you know, this is the Lord, this is God incarnate, and yet there's a little dysfunction in that family tree. A little dysfunction. <laughs> <laughs> we can start with the four shady ladies. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, St. Matthew seems to go at great lengths to bring out the dysfunction that <laughs> is in right. the family tree. Pagans, you know, you had people who sacrificed their children to idols and the fires of paganism. You have illegitimate children. You have, you have pagans, you know. But the importance of that lineage is about the, Jesus being part of a particular family, right? right that mm-hmm. descendant of David, so that you see in in the promise of God its fulfillment, mm-hmm. the promise of God made to David in its fulfillment in Christ as a sign that God's fulfillment is made within the family that and way. And graces by generation by generation, till you, find, still, till you finally come to Saints Joachim and Anne and, you know, the holiness of our, the flesh of our Blessed Lady. You know, all these things given by God, but a shaping of this whole family towards the production of the Messiah, who then is the reason for the shaping of the particular, if I can use the word, nuclear family that the the divine will has arranged around the Savior himself. Yeah. And, and and you even have that sense of the extended family in that image. One of my favorite images is the, is the visitation, that mm-hmm. image of Mary and Elizabeth coming together, both of them uh, expecting um, that beautiful image of the, those families coming together, and at a time in which Elizabeth needs the support of Mary. Mm-hmm. We're so familiar in the Gospels, and it can be a point of contention sometimes, but you hear of the brothers of Jesus. Now, tradition would present to us that this meant what we would call now cousins, mm-hmm. uh, but the people in Nazareth, the people that knew the family of Mary and Joseph and Jesus— knew them as part of this bigger community that involved brothers of Jesus, mm-hmm. that had that Jesus was part of a bigger family. We think of the Holy Family, of course, Jesus, Mary, and Joseph, and we rightly do so, but he, this was not just a nuclear family in the sense right. of being isolated from... The industrial age nuclear family, right? Yeah, fair enough. That's a, a historical artifact. Right. Uh, as I said, the extended family... The tribal, the sept, this is much more biblical and much... I think we need to really think about those relationships more than we do, but yes, Father. And and it reminds us, too, of course, is that Jesus sometimes has rather unkind words about the family, right? Mm -hmm. Hate your father, hate your mother, right? Not meant quite literally. Mm -hmm. Uh, But it's an understanding that that family, as the notion of love, is transferred or or as raised up, in a sense, into the family of discipleship. That mm-hmm. is the family of the church, the body of mm-hmm. Christ. And so that we who are members of the body of Christ are a family. It's why in the early church they referred to each other as the brethren or brothers. In religious life, you still use the terms brother and sister. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, the priests we refer to as father. So there is this sense of the church itself as a supernatural family into, into which we are born, not in a natural, but in a supernatural way, through baptism. Uh, and so that... We are called to love within the church as we would our own family. Yeah. And this is, I think, how we are invited concretely into the, into the life of the Trinity, that, and that we have the fatherhood of God, you know, and the maternity of Holy Church, who is always portrayed as female. Mm-hmm. That's right. The you family know. of God is sort of a, perhaps a partner or a, a twin analogy to the body of Christ, mm-hmm. it would seem. Something I've meditated often upon is, you know, the word for priest that 
is sort of the, is the root of the priesthood in the in the church. What priests would have been called in the earliest generations are were presbyters, elders, elders. But that's it's and it simply is the word for elder. So you get say in the parable of what we call um, the parable of the prodigal son, mm-hmm. or some would want to call it the parable of the good father. The elder son is the presbyteros, the elder of the two. And there's a way that the those we call father, the priests in the family of God, are the elder brothers. They're the elders in in the community. That there's the church is itself an extended family. And it's interesting in that particular parable, it's addressed precisely to the scribes, the Pharisees, the elders of Israel. Yeah, those uh, elder brothers that were shirking their yeah. responsibility in this dysfunctional family we were talking to about. Love. Yeah, the failure to, make to a love. place for those who were uh, on a on a, a radically different path. Oh, they're they're clearly to be associated with the whiny elder brother who's talking <laughs> about uh, the party that he doesn't get because they're upset that the father shows mercy to those who have sinned. Yeah. And who again is he's focused on what he deserves and not right. the fact that he belongs. To his father and his family. Because the father's response, of course, is, everything I have is yours. Mm-hmm. And read, you're my son. How could, how, I would, I don't deny anything to you. But we have to rejoice because of, and here you see then the, the unfailing love that is meant to exist in the family and certainly exists in the family of God is always rejoicing that the son who was lost has been found. And that's, that's the primary movement of love, right? You were talking about, uh, we were talking about earlier about how people are given to us. Well, that being given to us has to be accepted. And mm. so they become ours, not just simply by giving, but by our accepting of them in the movement of love. Love, as St. Thomas reminds us, is, is willing the good of another, or another way of saying that is making another's good my own so that their happiness and goodness becomes a part of my own goodness. That's what the movement of love does. And so it, love is always a unifying force. It, it allows me to go out of myself, to unite myself with someone else. Yeah. and make Not in a selfish and grabbing way, but no, 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 opening up. But yes, by pouring in myself out to them, so their good becomes truly my good. Yeah. That is, their true good becomes my good as well. Uh, and so you you see that movement in love, uh, which is, is is absolutely essential in the family. The family mm-hmm. cannot function without there being that movement of love between all of the members. A family cannot exist, therefore, you're saying, I think, to put it a different way, without the fruit of love, which is mercy, overcoming the walls and bonds and moats that mere interest in justice within the family creates. Right. And and the the insistence we often have in modern society on what's due to me. Right. Right. Children haven't haven't uh, children are not economic producers, right? Mm-hmm. We live in a world in which not people in are valued valued by their economic worth, right? right? Infants create no economic value. Mm-hmm. Uh, we love them not because they've done something for us. We love them precisely because they need the love. Yeah. They were originally the original 401k plan. Oh, the, yes, 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 yes. They were about they, they to exist. take care, care of you in your retirement. Right. Well, there, there's a little bit of that, I suppose. A little bit. Now, Father Stephen Dominic, you said something very interesting earlier, which is that when you were growing up, because you lived around a lot of your extended family, mm-hmm. there wasn't need to meet people outside of the family in a lot of respects. Yeah, most of my socialization was you know, within the family. And then when I came to Catholic school, I found myself in a society of small thugs. 
you <laughs> know, and it was very before. it was different. No, but I I didn't I didn't suffer. I didn't feel um, I had strong healthy relationships. A lot of them. Mm-hmm. I was well socialized among the life of cousins, and so some of which you know was not always peaceful. You know, some um, my mother was of the school where you know if people have a difference with each other, she put them in the backyard, and then you you <laughs> bandage the wounds afterwards. You know, but well, but it's well, yeah, you get people to work it out themselves. Yeah, you get yeah. work out themselves. But I mean, at this point, you know, all my cousins are. Are amazing people, and yeah. um, even even in marital relations, right? You know, you talk to marital couples who have difficulties, and one of the things I always say to them: it's not a question of not arguing; it's yeah. a question of arguing well, right? right? Yeah. Arguing in a loving way. You'll any married couple has disagreements; any family has disagreements. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's about how you do that and do that well. And recently, you're only going to come out one of three ways in a marital dispute. You know, it's going to be either you know one side gives in, you know, where you. You capitulate, you either – or compromise, each side gets a little – or sometimes you just have to decide to coexist. But the three C's, you know, yeah, of yeah, married yeah. life. And it's true of not the family. Not a democracy. Few, families are not democracies. No. And it's Thanks true of the family Yes, exactly. Uh, but I think we – I mean we see here that families are – you don't have to go outside the family to find a drama. I mean that's a – that's something I think everyone knows. I was just saying to somebody today at the hospital that um, God loves drama. <laughs> he loves the drama in our lives, and you could write anybody's life. You can write a book about. You could set make a make a stage play. I think some more interesting than others. Some, I, think. I agree. Yeah. I agree. Not everything, but that's where, as we've been talking about, love and forgiveness and conversion mm-hmm. are are worked out, and we learn to imitate the love of the Trinity mm-hmm. in the family, not with people necessarily that we entirely chose, right. but and not with certainly with challenges that we chose, yeah. but. With the life that God gives us, but in in the in the present age, all these choices are very countercultural. Yeah, and with that, perhaps we can wind up this segment. I suppose so. Let's. Uh, <laughs> so, thank you for joining us today for Dominican Dimensions. Now, my name is Father Stephen Dominic Hayes, and I'm a friar at Saint Patrick Priory in Columbus. And I've been joined in the studio today by Father Pius Petrick, special guest, special guest, and Brother Isaiah. Bites. Less special. Well, no, he's he's a deacon, so that's very special. He's like Jesus Christ moving between heaven and earth as he moves from the sanctuary to the to the nave to assist the people. Well, thank you very much. You're very welcome. Uh, any anyway, rate, we've been joined by those two unusual people. Let's end now in prayer, and let's invoke um, the founder of our order, Saint Dominic. O light of the Church, teacher, teacher of truth, truth, rose of patience, patience ivory of chastity. Freely you have poured forth the waters of wisdom. Preacher of grace, unite us with the blessed. Amen. Dominican Dimensions is a production of listener-supported St. Gabriel Catholic Radio AM820. Archives of Dominican Dimensions and all of our locally produced programs are available at stgabrielradio.com. Then-